We're going to look in Galatians. We've been going through uh, the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights. So we're in Galatians chapter 4 tonight. And we're going to begin in uh, verse 8 and go through to the end of the chapter. Uh, we're looking at the uh, defense of free salvation. And uh, certainly people, seems like they get it wrong so many times when they talk about salvation. They think there's something that they have to do to earn it. Uh, when Christ has already purchased it for us, all we have to do is through faith receive Christ as our Savior. If you need a copy of the lesson or a prayer sheet, uh, Scott's in the back there. He can bring that by to you if you slip your hand up. Make sure you have that. Okay, so defense of uh, the free salvation. Our text verse is verse 31. It's a long passage we're going to go through, so I'll just read the text. Then we'll come back and just go verse by verse. And he says, so he's bringing a conclusion here in chapter 4. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And so he's identifying the fact that we are free, uh, we, our salvation is freely given to us, and uh, because of that, uh, there's no means or responsibility upon us to work for that salvation. So he's going through this chapter to defend that concept. The Apostle Paul is continuing his defense for salvation as apart from works. And the Galatian believers were being tripped up. They were being drawn away from the grace of God. They were slipping back into Judaism. And Paul wanted to remind them uh, over and over again throughout this book of Galatians uh, that there is no works that can deliver your soul. It's completely by the grace of God. It's a spiritual relationship with a living God. Uh, his concern and disdain is that Galatian believers were willing to slip back into bondage by, uh, uh, not, by stifling their faith through the observance of rituals. And so it, it's really disheartening when you know that God is so loving and God's so gracious that he'll save us by his grace through faith. And uh, yet man constantly wants to make it his own works. And Paul is so frustrated, you sense it, you get a sense, at least I do, I get a sense of frustration in his writing in reference to he just cannot believe that these believers are slipping back so readily into something that would only bring them in bondage. Charles Erdman said this, ritualism is baptized heathenism. <laughs> and so uh, oftentimes we just want to, man, man feels comfort in ritual. The sad thing is, ritual has no value to it. And so our, when we talk about spiritual things, it's not about ritual. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And so he goes through and defends this. So let's look at this. First of all, he appeals to their pride in uh, helping them uh, to remember who they were and what took place and how they got saved and who they are in Christ. And so in verse 8, it says, How be it then? Uh, when ye know not, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. So he's appealing to their pride in that he wants them to remember your past state. In other words, what you were without Christ. He said, when you knew, you didn't know God, 
but you didn't have any problem with doing service to those that were not gods. They bowed down to their idols. They fulfilled their rituals. Uh, they did all those things that did not give them peace and did not give them assurance uh, and uh, certainly did not deliver their soul. And he said, you didn't have any pride with basically appealing to them in this reference. You had pride enough to stand with those that were not gods. Why, aren't you, why don't you have pride enough to stand with the true God? And so they, they've come to know the real God. They come to know Christ as their Savior. But yet, uh, they're wanting to slip back in what they were before. And so he, re, he wants them to remember their past estate. You used to serve those that were by nature and were no gods whatsoever. And so then he wants them to understand their present decline in verse 9. He says, but now, after that you had known God. So verse 8, he says, you didn't know who God was. But now you have known God, or rather are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly earth elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? And so he says, you need to understand, uh, be aware of the fact that your desire to go back to those things that are weak, go back to those things that have no spirituality, to go back to those things that did not lead you to a true understanding of who God is, is just simply to, to put yourself deliberately back into bondage again. And uh, you, there is no victory, there is no freedom uh, when you're trying to live by a list of rules and rituals and things like that, that absolutely cannot deliver your soul. And so he says, you need to not just remember where you were in the past, uh, but you need to acknowledge your decline in the present. And it, listen, you're always, when you move away from God, it's always downward. It's never moving positive. It's never moving ahead the farther people get away from Christ, the farther deeper down they're getting into bondage. And he's shocked by them doing that. Erdman also makes this statement. It's in your notes. The Judaizing teachers were priding themselves upon a superior sanctity. Paul here gives a severe thrust at their vanity by likening the Jewish ritual to the practices of heathenism. And uh, when, listen, anytime man tries to approach God through his own flesh, through his humanistic ideas and uh, um, struggles, and, uh, and tries to approach God by the works of the flesh, it, it is always to enter into a heathenistic practice. And uh, God does not demand those things of us. He does not design those things for us to be uh, closer to him, but rather it's based on faith and the grace of God through Jesus Christ that we can uh, have this type of relationship. So Paul's doing a couple of things here. I just put this down. Paul, first of all, Paul is not disgracing the character of the Jewish law. It's easy to look at the book of Galatians and say, well, boy, Paul was a Jew, and Paul 
was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul certainly understood the law, and Paul lived according to the law of God, and now he's disgracing God's law. No, he's not doing that at all. Paul's not disgracing the character of Jewish law. Number two there is just simply this. Paul is describing the abuse of the Jewish law. And these uh, people are drawing the Galatians away from faith in Christ. These Judaizers were abusing the law because the law was not designed to save man. The law was designed to show man that he's a sinner and he needs a savior. And uh, they're abusing the law of God. The sad thing is so many times people abuse our faith in Christ. Many times people abuse this means of salvation and they entice people to move away from the grace of God. I've seen people over the years, they get saved, they're excited about it, God changed their life, they're thrilled that they're a believer in the Lord now, and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, well, well, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that and you need, and you know, next thing you know, they're out of church and they're away from God and I, I feel like going to them like the Apostle Paul and saying, man, who, who moved you from your faith? Who drew you away from Christ? Who, who has uh, really showed disdain on the grace of God by drawing you away from that grace? And so Paul's not trying to disgrace the character of the Jewish law. He is simply trying to reveal to these Galatians that these folks that are drawing them away are abusing the law of God. And we have to be careful how we handle the word of God, that we don't make it to say or mean something that it doesn't. And uh, otherwise, we're abusing it. So Paul wanted them to remember their past state. They wanted them to understand their present decline. But let her see there, it, Paul wanted them to realize your privilege as a son and the bondage of the slave. Notice in uh, verse 10 and 11, he says, ye observe days and months and times and years. So they're just uh, consumed with these whole things. He says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And uh, he's concerned because of the fact that, wait a minute, God has set us free and set us free as uh, uh, children of God. And why would we want to be brought back into bondage again? He'll use Abraham and Sarah in a few moments here in reference to uh, the promises of God, the promised seed Isaac, and then the bondage that brings the flesh brings as far as in reference to Ishmael. But he wants them to realize how privileged it is to be a son of God, to be a child of the Lord. And to know that we are no longer bound to these days and months and times and years uh, because of the fact that we are a child of God. And that is not, it doesn't make you more of a child of God by observing all the rituals. And you're a child of God by faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so Paul's appealing to their pride. He's wanting to think about who you are in Christ. Think about what God has done for you. And, uh, and not, don't be drawn away into these old beggar things. And so he appeals to their pride. In verse 12 through 20, he appeals to them from a pastor's heart. 
Paul had a heart for people, and certainly churches that he started, people that he ministered to, uh, he had a heart for them. And uh, he uh, noticed, first of all, in verse 12 through 15, he reminds them of their devotion to him. Notice in verse 12, he says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. And he identifies this oneness that they have in Christ. And it, he, they're wanting to be drawn away to someone else or some other thing. And he said, let's remember that, wait a minute, you need to be as I am because I am as you are. He says, ye have not, uh, ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first, at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, nor rejected, but ye received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. And where, where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So Paul deals with a couple of things here. It reminds them of their devotion to him. It, their devotion to him, he had a physical problem. Many people believe it was poor eyesight. In uh, chapter 6 and verse 11, as he comes to the conclusion of Galatians, he says, you see how large a letter I have written unto you, with my own hand. Now, Paul always had a scribe that would write his letters for him as he would dictate that to them. But he's telling the Galatians, no, wait a minute, you, you know my infirmities when I came to you. You know my problems I had when I came to you. And then he concludes the whole letter and says, you know, this, this letter is written in very large letters because of the fact I wrote it by my own hand. And it's at further evidence that the physical problem, possibly the thorn in his flesh, was the fact that he had poor eyesight, and uh, which would have been a common thing in his day and in the area where he lived and ministered. Uh, but he reminds them of that devotion because they're turning their back on the Apostle Paul. They're moving away from Paul, and it's burdening his heart because he can't understand why they're so quickly removed to another gospel but also that they're so quickly removed from him who he, they were devoted to and even uh, ignored his uh, physical problems and his shortcomings and as, as he ministered the word of God to them. So he reminds them, you had a devotion to me. What happened? Uh, notice, first of all, he did not come, to, come with any superiority of national traditions. That's what it says in verse 12. He said, be as I am, for I am as you are. So he didn't come flaunting himself as, I'm the Apostle Paul. I am uh, Saul, Pharisees of Pharisees. I, I'm, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't flaunt any aspect of his heritage uh, to the Galatians uh, believers when he came to be with them. And so he said, I want you to remind, we had a relationship that was based on oneness. It was not uh, brought about because of me feeling that I'm superior or making myself superior to cause you to submit yourself to me. So he's, he's bearing his heart and his soul to these Galatian believers. 
Notice in verse 13, he did come with great weakness of difficulty in the flesh. In verse 13, he says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And so uh, it's a strange thing that someone was who, that was so devoted to each other. And a situation where sacrificially and physically, Paul suffered in presenting to them the gospel of Jesus Christ in the weakness and the difficulties of his own flesh. He is, he is struggling with this concept that they would just be willing to leave him and to leave the church, and to leave the gospel of Christ behind. And uh, certainly, it's a strange thing sometimes, after being in ministry for many, many years, to see people you lead to the Lord, see people that you disciple, see that people that you help, people you cry with, you rejoice with, and they just turn their back and walk away from Christ. They just turn their back and walk out of the church. And I feel like the Apostle Paul sometimes is saying, you know, what, what went wrong? Who grabbed your heart? Who pulled your attention away? When you think of all that is involved in somebody investing their life in someone else. And Paul's saying, it's a strange, strange situation. Notice in verse 14, he was not rejected because of those frailties. So he's trying to reason through this thing and trying to figure out why they're running because they didn't hold his frailties against him. Uh, he wasn't compromised in his message because of those frailties. But in verse 14, it says, And my temptation which was in my flesh, he despised not, nor rejected, but received me. Whoa, look at this relationship. You received me as an angel of God, even... As Christ Jesus, I mean, the connection was strong, the influence was powerful, but it had nothing, Paul's wanting them to understand, it had nothing to do with his flesh, because his flesh was weak, because he was suffering, and because the fact he did not present himself, uh, nationally speaking, of all the things he could boast about to them, he just came as a humble spirit to present them to who Christ was. And he said, I'm shocked that you would walk away from that. You didn't reject me in my weakness, in my frailties, so why are you rejecting now? Then in verse 15, notice he desires to know what brought about the change. He's just building here in these verses. He says, where is then the blessedness? In other words, he's telling, he wants them, come on, tell me. Tell me, where's the blessing here? Where's the reward here? Where's the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if, I, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And Paul says, there was such a strong bond that you were willing to even physically sacrifice your own eyes so that I could be able to see better. But now you're departing from the gospel. Now you're running away from Christ. Now you're leaving the church. Paul's saying, I, I don't understand it. What brought the change? Different folks, I, over the years I've had to leave the church, and I've sat down. I've never really had anybody. Uh, I can't remember of anybody who gave me a clear 
scriptural reason for leaving. They have their own desires, their own things they're experiencing or whatever they feel they've been neglected or whatever. But nobody, I, I really can't, I can't tell a one person who has, has had a scriptural basis where they could sit down with me with the word of God and say, this is why I'm departing from Christ. This is, this is why I'm not going to be any longer a part of the church. Uh, never, never a scriptural reason. And Paul, Paul's asking them. He's confused. He's frustrated with the whole situation because uh, he established a church. He led these people to Christ. And he's longing to know what brought the change. Why are you cold and indifferent to the gospel of Christ? And so then he reminds them, letter B, he reminds them of the Judaizers' demands on them. And may I say this, when someone is always trying to get you out of church and trying to get you to turn away from Christ, they put demands on you. I've had people over the years say, well, I just don't want to be in the church anymore. You got too many rules and regulations. And I'm thinking, what rules and regulations do we have, you know? Did you check the box off when you came in tonight? Make sure you covered all the rules and regulations. Uh, they, they go on, but the people they get, their movements they get caught up with, the things they get caught up with, puts demands on them. And it certainly doesn't seem like they mind any demands that are put upon them. You know, it's interesting to me with these riots that are going on with Black Lives Matter and, and Antifa and all this, that, and the other, supposedly rioting against oppression and everything else in America. Let me tell you one thing. You get in that group and you violate what they expect out of you, find out what oppression is. But they don't have a problem with dealing with that. Young people get caught up and be a part of gangs. Why? Because they don't want to be under their mom and dad's rule. They want to have to live by rules in their house. I'm going to go out and be my own person so they, build it, they become a part of a gang. Let me tell you, they got rules and regulations that are more severe than what you would have in your home. And Paul is just saying this, I want you to remember, I want you to be aware of the fact that the Judaizers put demands on you and their demands are strong. Notice, first of all, they require a role reversal in reference to truth. In verse 16, it says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That is a role reversal. Paul is say, simply saying this. If you're going to move away from the gospel of Christ, you're turning your back on your truth. And so we were friends. But now, as I tell you the truth, I've become your enemy. And so whenever the devil, whenever the world, whenever individuals may want to get you away from Christ, understanding this. They want you to do a role reversal because the people who used to be your friends can't be your friends anymore. The truth you used to believe, you can't believe anymore. So he's saying, you realize this, that these people are drawing you away require a role reversal in reference to truth. You can't believe truth anymore. Then notice in uh, number two there, verse 17, they require a change that is not good. Verse 17 says, they zeal zealously 
uh, affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might afflict them. And so he's saying what they're required of you, the change that is necessary to, to identify with them and turn your back on the truth is not good. It's not good. It is never a good situation when you start to move away from the Lord. It is not a good situation to be distracted or where you don't read your Bible. It's not a good situation when you are distracted from prayer. It's not a good situation when you're not reaching out to brothers and sisters in Christ and praying for one another and helping one another and doing that which is good one towards another. The, listen, the, the devil always wants us to turn our back on Christ because when he does uh, cause us to turn our back on Christ, he can take us down a path that is not good. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have half, half the people that have left the church back in church, uh, not so much so to have more numbers in church, but to get them out of their lifestyles they're in because they left church. And I'm going to tell you, you watch, you, you watch it. There's never anything positive. It's always negative. And so that's what the devil does. That's how the world works. That's how the flesh manipulates you. It requires a change, and it's a change that is not good for you. He says it's not well. Notice uh, verse 18. He says, but it is good to be zealously affected among affected affect always in a good thing and not only when I am present with you and so they require you not to be zealous for that which is good they want you to be excited for that which is bad but they don't want you to be excited for that which is good and Paul is saying this you need to be excited and zealous for the things of God when I'm not there and uh, he says, and you don't get excited and zealous for the things of God because I'm with you. And as soon as Paul left the church and all of a sudden these Judaizers creep in and they got these folks all fired up and zealous for things that were not a good thing to be doing and a path to be going down. And Paul says, you need to remember, you need to be zealous for that which is good all the time, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not with you. And so uh, he desired, where am I here? Oh, I lost my place. Oh, there I am. And uh, verse 18. So then let her see, he reminds them of his desire to see them grow spiritually. In verse 19 and 20, he says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul says, he, he's using the analogy of a woman having a child and he said, you've already been birthed into the family of God. You already, by grace, have been saved, but you've departed from the faith. And he, so he says, I'm travailing in birth again for you. And uh, the pains that I'm suffering is overwhelming me because of my desire is that you, Christ would be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I say in doubt of you. I stand in doubt of you. And uh, notice, first of all, that he uh, reminds them that he desires to remind. I keep losing my place. What am I doing here? 
Oh, yeah. So he desires for them to grow spiritually. Number one there is he longs for their conformity to be in Christ. For whom the Lord did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So verse 19, what is his desire? He's desiring for Christ to be formed in them. That's the desire of our hearts, is that we all might become more like Christ, more like Christ. And, uh, and Christ needs to be exalted in our life. And Paul desired for that conformity to be evident and powerful in their life. They're turning back to the law and turning back and following the leaders of the Judaistic movement was not conforming them to the image of Christ. Because Christ came not to destroy the law, but for the fulfillment. He fulfilled everything that the law required. So in order for me to have a testimony and live my life in the fullness of the law of God, it's with relationship to Christ becoming more and more like Christ. And so the key is the conformity into the uh, spirit and the character of Christ. So he longs for their conformity to be in Christ. And then in verse 20, he longs to speak with confidence rather than doubt their salvation. In verse 20, he says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. For I stand in doubt of you. In other words, he said, I want to change what I'm saying. I don't, I don't want to have to be saying what I'm saying. But the fact that you've been turning, you're turning your back on Christ, on the fact that you're moving away from the gospel, the fact that you're going back into Judaism causes me to doubt whether you're saved or not. And Paul's saying, I, I, I want to be able to change my conversation. I don't want to be talking about my doubts in reference to you, whether you've been saved or not. I want to speak with confidence that you're the children of God. And so it's, it's, it's a struggle sometimes. I don't know if you struggle with it, but I struggle with uh, folks that have been supposedly saved and then they go out and live ungodly lives. I struggle with, with assurance in my heart whether they're saved or not. Uh, and we're not saved by our works. We're not kept by the works that we do. But certainly Jesus presented to us the fact that we can know them by their fruits. And if somebody absolutely has no fruits of righteousness in their life, it doesn't stand reasonable to say that they're righteous. And so uh, Paul says, look, I want to change my conversation in reference to who you are, but based on what you've been doing, I'm doubting whether you're saved or not. So he appeals to them in, uh, from a pastor's heart. Then in verse 21 through 23, he appeals to them in uh, their perception. And uh, verse 21, notice he's, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do, you, do ye not hear the law? So here's his question. What is your comprehension of the law? He's appealing to them based on their perception. He's saying, you're listening to the Judaizers. You're listening to those that are persuading you to go from grace to back under the law. Let me just ask you, if you desire to be under the law, do you hear the law? Do you know what it says? Do you know the condemnation that comes on a man because of what the law reveals? Are you really wanting to live your life 
in a role, in a situation where there's no hope, only condemnation because you can't fulfill the requirements that are placed upon you. And that's what the law does. The law condemns man. The law brings man down to his knees because man uh, comes to understand that he is literally uh, out of control of his life. He has no way to be able to manipulate his life. And uh, certainly the law of God condemns him. In Romans chapter 7, in verse 7, is what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. So what does the law reveal to us? It reveals to us what sin is. It reveals to us where we've, we've uh, missed the mark with God. The law reveals to us that we need a redeemer. And he says, for I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. But sin taketh occasion by commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So Paul's just approaching these Galatians who had wholeheartedly, rejoicing, received the gospel of Christ and were wonderfully saved by the grace of God. And they're letting these Judaizers tempt him to get back under these works of the law. And Paul says, do you even know what it says? The sad thing is, oftentimes people make decisions birthed out of emotions, birthed out of peer pressure, and they don't even know what it is they're getting into. So what is your comprehension of the law? And then in verse 22 and 23, he wants to know what was the conception of two sons. In verse 22, he goes on, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondwoman, we know that was Hagar. Other by a free woman, we know that was Sarah. He said, he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. So he says, what is your conception of the two sons? What, what is your idea or your thought process of the two sons God gave to Abraham? If you really think about the two sons that was given, the one was the works of the flesh. It was Abraham's own doing as he took Hagar into him and had his son by the name of Ishmael. But the other son was the Isaac that was a son that was by the promise of God that he received and enjoyed by faith, not by his works. God did not bless Abraham through Ishmael. Because it was the works of the flesh, he blessed God through Isaac. He blessed Abraham through Isaac because of the fact that was by promise. So he's trying to build the comparison here. It's either by the flesh or it's by the spirit. It's either through works or it's by promise. He said, what's your conception of the two sons? Then letter C is just simply this. What does the two covenants show us? In verse 24, it says, Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, 
Why is Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is where he received the Ten Commandments. He received the law of God. The law of God condemned man. It says, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not. That certainly would be Sarah. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate have many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So he said, let's realize the two covenants that were made. And uh, certainly you can approach the covenant through the law of God, which is Mount Sinai, and you're condemned. Or you can approach the covenant that God made through Isaac and know that as he was the one that was born as the promise, we are born free because of the promise of God. And so two covenants. And then he ends the chapter uh, with verse 29 through 31 with a question, what is the conflict among us? What is the conflict among us? In verse 29, he says, But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So what is the conflict? It is the flesh against the spirit. And Paul will build on that whole concept in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh always brings persecution against the spirit. They're contrary one towards another. And the conflict that we have constantly in our personal life is that battle between the flesh and the spirit. Are we going to walk in the spirit by faith because of the grace of God? Or are we going to try to live our lives by the lust and the drive of the flesh? The flesh will condemn us, the spirit will deliver us. And so in the spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, Uh, That's where there's freedom. That's where there's grace. That's where there's power. And so he wants them them to understand the decisions that you have made to follow these Judaizers is simply putting you back deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage. And he says, well, wait a minute. You have to identify. Are you the children of the bondwoman? Or are you the children of the free woman? And we're, listen, we're all children of the free woman because of the fact that Jesus Christ, you track the genealogies all the way back to Isaac, and we have the genealogy of Christ coming to die on Calvary to be able to set us free from the bondage of our sin. What a great chapter. Uh, Take some time and read through that chapter again, and just think about the things that is revealed to us. Don't allow somebody to entice you to be drawn away from faith in Christ. Uh, we, we live in a spiritual body. Uh, 
And uh, we live by the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in us. So I hope that was a good study for you today.